Hello, I'm Menos Campbell, founder and CEO of Kimia and Kimia Reset. And thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really passionate about helping pharma field teams to feel confident about using technology, using digital contents to improve their engagements with healthcare professionals and feeling confident about using technology. And um, I want them to feel good about themselves, but also achieve amazing results. Is the human element of digital transformation that's what really grabs my interest enabling people to use technology to confidently um, communicate and uh, to explore this topic i've been inviting and interviewing inspiring pharma leaders to learn from them but also give them a platform so they can come here and share their perspective and their top tips so i'm really delighted to have rick hollis today hi rick it's great hi, to have you here with us Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Um, I'm so excited to have you here because before we go into like asking you questions, I wanted to tell our audience a little bit about uh, you and how we met. Uh, many of you probably know Rick. He is a business and customer excellence director at Epson UK and Ireland. And he has 20 years of experience in pharma sales, pharma training, pharma marketing, and has become really focused on elevating the customer experience when engaging with pharma companies. Uh, Rick, as a director of Business Excellence, uh, is working to deliver improved digital, but also in-person customer interactions with huge impact. Um, when I think when I'm looking back when we met, it was probably June 2022, and we've not met in person yet, but we connected on LinkedIn initially. And I, I couldn't believe we haven't met in person. Yeah, that really <laughs> about me. that, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess um, that's just the beauty of remote engagement. If you can communicate um, like naturally as you would if you were sitting in the room, you could create that feeling that you already know someone or met them. Uh, and it's really funny, last week at the PM Awards, I met so many people that I've been chatting to, like James Harper for ages and people couldn't believe it was the first time we were meeting in person so <laughs> i've had the same at work a little bit where i've been meeting with people and then suddenly you meet them face to face and you you realize we've not actually met before like it's all been virtual and it, it surprises me yeah it's great yeah and sometimes it's really surprising like i remember the first time i met paul sims i'm thinking oh my god you're so much taller so than tall. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So um, I remember the first time you and I met, like I saw you in action, was um, the Digital Pharma Unlocked. It was right. November 2022. And I clearly remember James Harper was sharing it. And it was a panel discussion. You were there. Paul Sims was there. Liv and Adam. And I'll never forget because Paul Sims just dropped the big bomb. And it was this like tumbleweed <laughs> moment when he said, I think you were debating, is it like a death of the pharma? Uh, rep and uh, he just shared the feedback from the general manager of one of the companies that it was just a complete eye-opener do you remember that day right not not like Paul to be controversial right but uh, yeah he he was purposely antagonistic I think in that one and uh, yeah, yeah it, it was a great great session actually really good yeah. and, I, and I think the the conclusion of that was no nobody saw it as being the end of the farmer rep it's just I think we called it rep 2.0 3.0 right it's changing but it's always been changing yeah i mean people buy from people 
Um, and even if you've got technology and tools, somebody has to put meaning in it. And I think there's a huge role for that. But we can discuss that. But the other interaction you and I had was the another digital pharma unlocked event in February this year, where uh, the topic was vanity versus uh, value metrics. Again, we were in a panel with yourself. Um, I think it was uh, Debbie Young as well with James Harper. And I think that was when I really got to know you and find out about your views about the field teams. And I was really impressed and inspired. So I wanted to invite you here so you can share your views on this very important topic because, you know, I believe in value of the rep, you believe in it, but let's put some meat on the bone to explain what we see that would look like. What do you think? Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, perfect. I just wanted to remind everybody that what Rick is sharing at this meeting is his own views and is not representing views of his employers. So um, don't shoot him down if he says something different. <laughs> that it's not within the party. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, Rick, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and you've got a very impressive career path. You know, in the last 20 years, you started in sales and you had zigzagged every two years into a diverse role. You did sales, you did training, you did sales leadership, you went to marketing. And it makes me realize that you're someone who's not only very clever, but you also deliver it. Otherwise, they're not going to give you a promotion. So <laughs> I wanted to start by asking you what attracted you to work in pharma industry and what aspects of pharma you are most passionate about? Yeah. So, I mean, I, like a lot of people, I came in carrying the bag doing a sales job as my first job and being really honest, a, a friend of mine from my degree, I did a biology degree and a friend of mine from my degree had gone into the industry and he had a better car than me and he was being paid more than me. And so I, I got interested that way, right? Just being really honest. But it was, it was really, um, I'd already got into selling and I'd already started to enjoy that idea of trying to, um, talk to somebody and try and sh through conversation, through questioning, try and influence them and shift their mm -hmm. thinking. So I've always enjoyed that. But really, if I go further back, like it's that that biology bit, it was it was the human body and how it works and trying to understand that. I can still remember now like a, a biology lesson, probably quite a young boy and, and being in this biology lesson. And we were doing around like homeostasis. So how like, the body regulates itself. And I remember being really inspired. It's a really little thing, it's silly, mm -hmm. but like being really inspired about how the body self-regulates and it's these positive and negative feedback loops. So when you get down to a molecular level, just I just thought it was so beautiful, that system, so beautifully designed and how it works. And I just absolutely loved it. And so ever since then, I've been obsessed with like how the body works. And then obviously that led into when it doesn't work and when disease happens and so leads you down the route to thinking about medicine and 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 here I am so I've always been really interested in that bit that's interesting so you're kind of like the science of it really fascinated you right yeah and, and it's so, all around us right you know that I, I just love all that yeah I didn't know that you just like showing the other side of you the analytical the scientific <laughs> part of you because I've not been exposed to that aspect so you're very diverse right yeah yeah but now I well, guess I, I don't really yeah I don't I don't touch on the science bit too much other than working in a company that's trying to create new medicines and you know that that part of it the bit that then 
I touched on around the trying to influence customers. When, when mm-hmm. I came in, like it was coverage and frequency, it was share of voice, it was high volume of calling and and just, you know, deliver three messages, probably doing three different products. And it was pretty transactional. And I was thinking, I did a degree. Like, I, what am I doing? Like, it wasn't particularly high value stuff. And yeah. so, and then I like through my career in sales, I did a lot of sales management, did a lot of field visits and I've seen what good looks like. And I've seen what not so good looks like, probably me, like I was definitely not the best rep, but it's then I'm convinced that as an industry, we've got real value to add to customers. Like the uptake of new drugs in the UK is not great. It's like lower than most European countries. Mm -hmm. And, And the engagement rates of customers like doctors with the industry in the UK is a lot lower than it is in most other European countries. And whilst that's not a direct link, it's it's probably related a little bit. And so there's lots of other factors at play, but I, I just think we've got value to add. And so I want to improve how we add value, really. Brilliant. There's a comment from Chris saying, what do we feel about the blend of digital and in-person meeting? And um, do we think the starting point now is virtual and then in progress is into person or is it the other way around? Um, and I guess this quite nicely blends itself to how do you see the role of pharmaceutical field professionals evolving in this new environment? Yeah. So first of all, hi, Chris, thanks for joining. Um, I, it's a really good question. I, what's interesting about it for me is a lot of the salespeople in the UK and pharma now have been doing it for quite a long time. And what that means is they're not just meeting the doctors for the first time often. Often they're going back to quite a small population time and again. And so if I was to take a a launch situation where we don't know the customers, I think it probably does make sense that it's digital. Certainly any suppliers to the pharmaceutical industry that reach out to me and they want to talk to me about their products or services, they tend to do that digitally first. They probably message me on LinkedIn I might attend a webinar and then I'll get an email and then eventually I'll do a video call. And if the video call goes well, I might end up meeting them in person. It's a sales funnel, right? But Mm -hmm. it makes sense that some of the information is shared up front to see if I'm interested to then commit to doing a, a meeting. So I think, yeah, the future probably is more digital first, but the reality is if there's a relationship there first, it's probably in person first. Yeah, I mean, I can share my experience and my team's experience because we're actually in the launch phase for one of our clients. And um, I left a telephone message for someone just literally on Monday that immediately texted me back saying, can I call you back later? And then I left a voice message for someone else that emailed me immediately saying, sorry, man, I couldn't answer your phone. Can you email me the information? So I kind of like think you can't be you can't just be sticking to one channel for me face-to-face is not the first and even with people I have relationship because they clearly have my email they're emailing me back or they're text messaging me is I think is what they prefer and I find the digital channels is a quick way of passing and exchanging information and have a two-way dialogue and then my goal always is to take them into a virtual meeting so we can have a proper discussion, share contents and talk about the details. But in between those in-depth virtual content, 
is the digital channels that actually keeps the conversation going. Because before in the past, I remember like if you wanted to see someone, you had to go and see them. But now if somebody asks you for some information, you could immediately email it to them. So they don't have to wait two or three weeks before you go back and see them. And um, often they, the digital um, content have more legs. Because say, for example, a few months ago, I was trying to contact a consultant. They asked for digital content. Next thing I know, um, formerly a pharmacist are, is contacting me, asking me questions. And I said, well, how did you know about it? They said oh, that consultant forwarded the information, which again emphasizes the point that we have to really be good at using ABPI to make sure anything we're sending has all the right, you know, APIs and everything else, because you don't know if it's going to end up, you know, seeing it. But in that way, they're partnering with us, right? They're, they're sharing and they're helping us work the network. I think that's great. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But so I think it depends. But for me and our teams, I find digital is speeding things up. And mm. I think compare, I mean, I started my remote journey back in 2017 because, as you know, I moved to America and started working in the UK. Um, I've had a Zoom account for seven years. And I think in those days, like back in 2018, when I was trying to book a Zoom with the heads of medicine management, they were saying, oh, what's that? Yeah. But now they kind of like say, oh, can we meet in Teams? Can we meet in Zoom? They're just much more comfortable because they're having internal meetings. Um, sometimes I've done a presentation and there's been four sites like Walsall, Wolverhampton, all in one room. <laughs> and the consultants are dialing in from different locations. So they are more comfortable with digital. I think that our pharma field teams are because yeah. they're using it every day. I totally um, agree. I, mm. I just saw actually in the in the chat there, Simon's put a question in asking about preferences of physician for for channels, and it, it varies by age group. And I I really like the question because I was just thinking about that 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 there are companies at the moment that are trying to sell us data about customers' preferences for channel. Mm -hmm. But the story you told Menez was somebody picks up a message and then they text you or they phone. It's so context specific that if I'm on a train, I'll react differently than if I'm sitting in my house, than if I'm in the office. And and also my mood and how much energy I've got. And it just varies so much. And so I think what's important is that we have that offering there and the customer can navigate it as they see fit. But whichever way they go, they get a good experience. And it's it's a similar experience. It's a yeah. consistent experience, regardless of which route they tend to, to come to us in. So yeah. I think it's really important. I think you're making a really important point. And thank you for asking that, um, Simon. Well, we did, um, I did a workshop with Viva um, back in 2022, and we had a number of um, leaders um, sharing their experience. And one of the commercial leaders said, if you ask customers their preferences, they might say you something, but what they do is different. Absolutely. And he said, if you ask me whether I prefer watching Netflix or going to the cinema, I say I prefer going to the cinema. But if you ask me how many times I've been to the cinema in the last 12 months, I've not. I've been watching Netflix. And then in the same meeting, one of the IT experts in Middle East said, we actually did the survey. Uh, we asked HCPs to state their preference and capture it on the Viva system. So we knew what the preference were. And then we started like communicating via chat, via email, via other channels, and we observed their behavior. And it said the behavior was different to what they stated. 
And he said, you really need to have a 360 view of customer preferences in reality, not what they say it is yeah. to know. And it is is fluid. Like um, they use all the channels depending on whether on the train, we're in the meeting uh, and what's the circumstances. But the question about the age is an interesting one. Mm. I was talking to this Cam in Canada and she was in her late 50s. She said, in every generation, there are early adopters. <laughs> It's got nothing to do with your age, it's to do with your attitude. And when we did the research um, looking at, you know, impact of training and in increasing digital engagement, the person who had the biggest improvement was in their late 50s because people in their 50s generally are good communicators, but they're not maybe au fait with using digital channels. Once they got their head around digital channels, they were just able to replicate the chemistry they used to create in a face-to-face online. And I think that's phenomenal. So I think the Gen Zs are more comfortable with digital channels because they've grown up with it, but it doesn't mean that older people can't do it. Yeah, I totally agree. I think you're right. The, the, the younger generations, that they're being brought up with it, right? So they're sort of native, but it doesn't mean older generations can't do it. it, it it's yeah. just, like you say, a, a lot of that is mindset for me. Yeah. Uh, Chris is uh, making another comment here. It might be worthwhile talking about it. Chris says, do you think hiring field people who already know many of the key customers is the most important factor for launching success? Or do you feel that people with the right skills can build the right relationship? That's really interesting. Thank you for asking you, Chris. Yeah. I mean, I, mean I, I can give you my view. I, I think good people can build relationships, but it's it's got to be... You know, the, the skills of building relationships mean that as long as you've got the value there to add, so they've got the right content, the right sort of uh, product, and they've got the right value proposition, the relationship can come alongside that. The alternative is where they've already got the relationship. That relationship might exist, but if the value proposition isn't right, the relationship can maintain, but they haven't got a value to add. So, yeah, for me, I think the, the skills probably come first. I totally agree with you. I think some people have relationship with HCPs that spans over 20 years, but they're just like more of a friendship, yeah. but it's not necessarily going to sell their products. I think it's a value that engages customers. And I find like we were working in Scotland and one of the clients said to us, can you pitch and do some work in England? And they said like, well, I don't have a relationship in England, but they said, well, we like the way you do it in Scotland. And then I started um, engaging HCPs in England, and bear in mind I'm in America. And um, if the value proposition is right, you yeah. can speed that time it takes to build that trusting relationship. That in essence, you have to be trustworthy and have a value proposition, then you can build trust with them. It doesn't take that long. Yeah. Nice. Gosh, we've got some imp great input uh, from our audience. Um, Colin, thank you for sharing. You're saying you're in your 50s and often leave your younger colleagues behind and you enthuse them and approach. Yeah, great. Because it's not, attitude's got nothing to do with age. Yeah. Uh, it's more to do with your own mindset. And thank you for sharing it. That's lovely. Um, so do you want to read Simon's comment before we move on to the next question? So Simon says, I guess where I was going is trying to understand how far you think pharma is on the journey to really adopt a truly customer experience focused approach, because that requires a much greater understanding of how to show up 
at the relevant touch points using the right channel, which varies by age group, segment, etc. Yeah. What's your thoughts on that, Rick? I, I think uh, Simon's been reading my notes. <laughs> so this this is exactly what I think about, right? So if I go back to when I first came into industry and the the feedback we'd get would be the, the amount of detail that uh, uh, a customer-facing person would choose to put into a, a CRM system. And that would be, typically, it'd be like the key messages that they shared with this named customer. Whereas now, with digital interaction, we can get so much more rich data back about who's seen what and how they've reacted, where they've clicked, what what they're how they're engaging with our content and our, and our our messaging. And what that means is we then have more data to react and give them more of what they want. And so I was thinking about it earlier when you were talking about the sort of feedback loop and uh, your preferences around Netflix or cinema. And I was thinking, it's it's you're right, it's not just what they say, it's what, what we do, right? And so, and yet in pharma, our, particularly in the UK, the number of engagements that we have with any one customer is so low that we've not got enough big data, rich data to help us to, to really build a full picture. And so the more data we get, the easier it gets, but we've just got to start with what we've got. And, and I guess my point is, with that data, we can personalize more for people. So whether that's age, whether that's their um, segment, however we segment, segment them, so whether that's on their uh, channel preferences or whether that's on their areas of interest or where they are on, a, on a, an adoption ladder in their use and their belief, use of our product or belief in a therapy area, whatever it is we're trying to achieve, we need to give them more of what they want. The old fashioned way is we told everybody the same thing. We had three key messages and everybody got the same thing. And actually, the more we can tailor it, the more the customer can pull on what, we, what we've got rather than us just pushing it all at them. Yeah. And I think um, there's an interesting report. You might want to check it out, Simon, around, uh, I think it was done by DT Consultancy, looking at customer um, excellence, customer experience. None of the pharma companies are nowhere near delighting HCPs. At best, it's just good, but nobody's excellent. So there's a lot of room for improvement there. I know UK is an outlier, and the point he's saying is totally valid. But in other European countries, they do have that data, or in US. But it's just nobody's really got their arms around this uh, to perfection. Uh, and I think some of it is because the mindset is still old-fashioned. They're thinking, these are our brands we not need to tell you, rather than thinking about, is what we're saying actually relevant to HCPs? It's not about creating noise. It's about understanding their pain and addressing it succinctly when they need it. So and true. I don't think we're there yet. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that, honestly, that's where customer-facing people don't realize how valuable they are because they've got those insights of what those pain points are for individual customers about understanding what is it that's getting in their way and how can we help them. Then, mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's really important. Yeah, so Rick, I'm really curious to know um, how do you think we should be measuring KPIs to measure um, you know, performance of the field force and measure something that really matters? It's like, as you know, a real um, hobby horse of mine, a pet subject, right? And so I was thinking just now, as you were talking about, like, what is it that's holding us back? And and one of the things is 
you know, it, you can go back to what's his name, uh, the marketing guy, Peter Drucker, talks about what gets measured gets managed, right? Mm -hmm. And so essentially what I'm understanding that to mean is what you measure is what you get. Field people in pharma are really results orientated. So if you if you say to them, um, go and see 100 customers, they'll go and see 100 customers, right? So if I, if I give you an example, imagine if a, a rep is uh, targeted with sending so many e emails, right? Because we mm -hmm. want to digitalize our customer engagement. And so imagine they're targeted with sending 50 um, 50 different customers uh, an email. They'll do it. They will absolutely do that and you'll achieve mm -hmm. that. But it won't be the right email to the right customers. They'll, they'll just do it. And, and so they, they're giving you what you're asking. So we have to be more thoughtful about what we're asking people to do. And it involves more trust in our field teams. So coverage and frequency, particularly like when I get higher up in pharma organizations, the higher up you go, so to uh, board level and then in, in country, to the leadership team and then above country, they still ask about coverage and frequency a lot with field teams because it's a shorthand, it's been there forever and it tells you about the productivity of a sales team. But if you if you measure coverage and frequency, what you're gonna get is a list of 100 customers and they're gonna go and see those 100 customers and they're gonna see them. But then if they know there's this one conversation I'm having with this one customer where there's a high proportion of untreated patients and it's a warm conversation and we're getting somewhere, but I've not seen these guys over here. I better go and see these guys over here. So, so what I'm saying is sometimes the reps do know best of where they should be going and what they should be doing, but we're measuring them on something different. And so, so are you ready to let them go <laughs> quit loose and fancy free and do what delivers outcomes? So, so it's a leap of faith, isn't it? A little bit. And, yeah. and so to let go of that coverage and frequency is a bit of a leap of faith. But I think there's some bits that are getting in the way of us making that leap. At the moment, the reps largely select their own target list. Mm -hmm. Large, They've got quite a bit of control over that. And then they, they, um, they also are the only way we have of placing a customer on an adoption ladder. Because we get sales at, a, at an account level, at a hospital level. But within that hospital, you could have four or five different customers all using our product to very varying degrees and, and really different degrees of belief in our product. Mm -hmm. And so the, it's it's the, the fact that the rep is, excuse the phrase, they're sort of marking their own homework because it, they, they find the customers and then they tell us where the customer's beliefs are. Now, if we could do all of that in a data-led way and then just say to the reps, we, we know where the customer is on the adoption ladder due to these metrics, and we know which customers we want you to, and you just go and make it move. And however you think the best way of doing that is, go and do that. That's measuring what we really want them to do, which is shifting people's beliefs and behaviors. I just don't know how to do it yet. Yeah, well, I mean, I was really lucky because I worked for Takeda as a rad many, mm. many moons ago, and um, we were very much treated like adults. You were, you know, director, um, this is your marketing budget. Um, this is your PNL. This is we forecasted our own sales, but I mean they were not stupid. If you were going to lowball your forecast, they would just kind of like rank it up. So we would forecast based on the investment that we were doing. So if I wanted to have more investment, more field force, or more marketing behind it, then they'd be expecting more 
outcome for me. But we were, we always measured sales. So at the end of the day, I would sit down and think, where can I go? Who do I talk to to change the landscape? And yeah. I'll still do that. I mean, I started, was it 2008? And I still, after leaving and setting up Kimia, we follow that practice. I honestly find, I mean, I work at market access and driving sales in every ICB or health board, whether it's Wales or Scotland, there are few people who make the decision to change policy and there are few people that actually implement that policy. And it's a smarter way of aligning to get NHS do the doing rather than us trying to do a lot of pull through. And um, if you identify those people and reach them and have the right value proposition, they want to work with pharma. I mean, we, I mean, in the past, we've had accounts with market share of like 10, 15%, and we grow it to 65, 70 in a matter of 18 months because we work in alignment with NHS. If the value proposition is right, you can engage them. But we don't measure coverage and frequency. Don't get me wrong, we don't sit there and do nothing. Activity comes when you're engaging with people. But then it's better to spend time to think who is it you want to engage and what is it they're going to do so you don't bark up the wrong tree. And I look at accounts behavior as well. Say, for example, if it's an account never done anything with any of the propositions that other companies have offered them, they're not going to do anything with mine either. So I just stay away from them. Yeah. I just go and invest and plow in the fields where I'm going to grow, you know, crop. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, and that's, like customer facing people know that like they know yeah. what, who's engaging with us and who isn't. And I'd much like that everyone has a better experience that way when we when we engage with like pushing on on open doors, people that are willing to engage with us. The only thing I'd add to what you're saying, Monaz, is that when you when you get that key engagement at the top and then that implementation bit, I've seen it before in previous companies where we've had an excellent situation from the top. But then the NHS isn't able to drive that implementation themselves. So that and and it's making me think that at the moment my career is taking me more into sort of rare disease, where you've got a small group of clinicians mm -hmm. who are really um, passionate about treating a, a rare disease. But then they're reliant on a big group of clinicians to to refer through and send through those patients, and that's where we have to partner with them to actually go and find those patients. NHS is really bad at joining the dots and mm. they still work in silos. I mean, we got a formerly, we first time formerly position for a brand. It was instigated by medicine management. I'm talking to the specialist. They don't know about it. I talked to the three different specialists who are meant to be prescribing and they don't know about it. So I think what I find the field teams need to have two approaches. There's one approach for getting market access, but another approach for pull through. And pull through to me is excellence in execution. Just make sure all the bases, and that's where you need to spend a bit more marketing, use multi-channels to communicate the same message through different channels. And that's where I think digital and face-to-face -face field team could actually marry up together and um, use several channels communicating the same message. That's when you can get increase in awareness and adoption. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think pull through, is more important than getting market access because so many people get market access and nothing happens. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Jennifer is asking, outside of our industry, are there any companies that excel in customer centricity that you think should be aspiring to be more like? Rick, what do you think? Wow. Uh, I, 
I, I, the honest answer is I don't know. So thanks for the question, Jen. I, I don't know. I, like, I, I know my, like, I saw earlier on uh, Katie uh, put a comment in talking about doctor's own sort of experience of digital. So I can talk about my own experience. And the two, the two examples that come to mind are, um, one is redoing my car insurance and I was working with Direct Line. And that was a real omni-channel experience between web and then text and then phone call and email and signing. So I thought that was an excellent joined up omni-channel experience. And then the other example I had was going for an eye test because I'm getting to an age where I have to wear reading glasses. And so I went to Boots for an eye test. And the bit I loved about that was, so again, I think I did it on the app or online and I booked an eye test appointment, but I got a phone call and somebody just talked me through and checked that I was coming to the appointment and what I needed to do. And that phone call, like it, I think it was like a customer success person, I think was their title. And they were there to make sure I turned up for that appointment fully prepared. And I thought, wow, that's just lovely because they're, they're going to be more productive. They're going to get more eye tests through by doing that. But it's quite cheap, somebody sitting and making those phone calls. And for me, I felt really prepared and, and set up for the meeting, the, the appointment, and knew where I was going, what was going to happen. So I really like those two little examples. But, yeah, I'm sure we've all got experiences of what good looks like. How yeah. about you, Melaz? I have a really good experience of healthcare in US. My husband went to see his GP recently, and the GP, the approach of GPs is different in America. They have the consultation with the patient. It's like, these are two options. Which medication do you want to try? And he picked the first medication. So, you know, the, the prescription was sent to CVS. He went and picked it up and he tried it and he felt awful. So Friday evening, about like five o'clock, he uses, we've got this kind of like app, the, the healthcare app. So he messaged his GP saying, I feel terrible. Can I try the second medication? The GP immediately sent the prescription to CVS, the, the local pharmacist. And I went for a drive through, picked up his pres prescription and brought it back. And I kind of thought, for me, that's seamless um, care. Um, I mean, if I try to contact my GP in Scotland, I'll be really lucky if I get an appointment next week or even <laughs> if I guess somebody answers the phone. But I think I love the way they use the human, digital, and the, the, the electronic connection. I mean, in Edinburgh, if I ask for a repeat prescription, I think they've got a van that goes at 12 o'clock, picks the prescription, and brings it to the pharmacy. Yeah. In England, I think my friend was saying they've got this digital transfer, but they, just, they could be doing a lot better with digital just to connect the dots. So I think for me, that was a great patient experience that was seamless and joined up between GP, uh, valuing the patient's opinion, and also the pharmacy. Yeah. I love that. And and so I'm, I'm thinking if you flip that around, that, that GP in the US compared to the GP in Scotland, it's the digital tools that they've got that allow them to do it. So it's not necessarily the GP in Scotland doesn't want to do it. It's that they're enabled to do it. So if you now put that as a parallel to a pharma sales rep, trying to give that experience to a doctor, we have to give them the tools to be able to delight the customer with how good the experience is. That's what I want to achieve. So the customer's delighted, but the, the customer facing person, whether that's an MSL or a CAM, is also delighted that they've got all these new tools to satisfy the customer need. Yeah, but I don't think giving them the tool is enough. I mean, let me tell you another story. I've got a friend, he's a neurosurgeon. I mean, he's a clever guy, he's yeah. in 60s. He doesn't know how to send an email. He doesn't know how to text. 
So you get some some doctors that are very intelligent, but they're just thinking, oh, I'm going to retire. I'm not going to bother learning this. So giving them the tools is important. I think with the field force, giving them the tool is important, but they need to be confident using it. Uh, if yeah. you don't, if you don't feel confident using the channels and the content, you might as well not have the content or the channels. It's like having a Ferrari that you don't know how to drive and it's parked on the drive, just gathering dust. So um, I think there's a, um, I think Paul Turner talks about people, processes, platform in yeah. that order. And I think if you look at pharma companies' attitude towards digital transformation, they got the platform first then they worked on the processes and they forgot about people. They didn't bring the people on that journey with them. And I think that's the challenge we have. What's your thoughts on that, Rick? I think I'm, I think we're guilty. I, I absolutely agree. I think we go system first and then we, we talk about process, right? And so we, but we, we think about the people last. I think like sending an email, it's pretty intuitive, but actually if you've been doing, and it's not saying, people can't send an email it's not really it's not really that it's it's understanding the whole bigger picture and why and how how it can look rather than just seeing it as a standalone thing mm -hmm. so so i totally agree with you there's more work to be done on bringing people with us on that journey to, yeah. to understand what we're trying to achieve so that's why i really like jen's question where she talked about you know what what good looks like in other industries, because the more we can share the, the vision of what we're trying to achieve, then I think that's where field teams will begin to, to join the dots and actually start to show us how to do it, because they're the ones that know the customers best. Yeah, you know, one thing, um, I've not asked you this before, but I, I've, it just came up in the last two days, a couple of people mentioned it, is to do with the budget, because with platform, there's people responsible for platform and there's a budget with processes, content factory, there's marketeers with their budget for that. But for developing people, it's like, it's an orphan there. Like who's got the budget? You know, you talk to training, they say, oh, the budget is with field force effectiveness. You talk to field force effectiveness, they say, oh, the budget is marketing. So who's got the budget and who's got the accountability to address the people issue, do you think, Rick? That's a, that's a really good question. Yeah, and, and there's not much budget against that. So so I hold some of that budget in, in business excellence, but mm -hmm. also I know that the brands also try to keep some money for, for developing the, their people as well. So it is, it's, it's messy. And I think part of the challenge of making Omnichannel happen, we were talking about earlier on what's holding us back, is often we're dealing with lots of different legacy systems that don't speak to each other. And so when we're trying to create this joined up experience for the customer, but we're working with one webinar platform over here, an email platform over here, maybe a, you know, a different system over here for doing marketing led emails and like the whole thing is quite disjointed. So mm. I think that is part of the challenge. Yeah, I think Venita made a really good point. Um, we were just exchanging emails um, she said to me, um, Global marketing teams hold the budget, but they're not involved in implementation. Affiliates yeah. are. Yeah. So how does they need to sit down and figure out how the money is going to flow? Because again, it's going back to the Ferrari example. You could have the best platform, the best processes, but if you're not investing in training the field to drive that Ferrari, that it's not going to be used. So I think 
there needs to be a better communication between global teams and affiliate teams to invest in this to be able to address it. Do yeah, you agree? I, I do. And, and I think the same is true of our partner agencies that work with our brand teams in, mm. in the UK. So they will create things, but they haven't really got any um, skin in the game in terms of whether that material is actually used and what its engagement levels are. So mm. I think that's where we need more partnership to to say, is it actually achieving what we're trying to achieve? Yeah. So I think I think that is important. So you're a clever man. I mean, every two years you getting promotion and moving on to other things. So you almost have a clever uh, solution up your sleeve. So how do you plan to approach this in Epsom? What's your cunning plan? I don't know. I don't know is the honest answer. Like it, <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is really difficult. I think the honest answer is making small incremental changes and just slowly trying to make things better than it was. Mm-hmm. Whilst I'm trying to do that, I know that the um, the expectation is really high. And, you know, let's face it, the investment in digital is high. We're spending a lot of money and people want to see results tomorrow. And yeah. so that that is like a, an ongoing um, friction, I think, that we see of of senior leaders saying what's the results how how's omnichannel doing right yeah and and actually what i'm really interested in is building it properly for the future to get it to work properly and that takes time so i think to satisfy both what we need to do is is get little projects to just work a bit better than they did so when i say little projects i'm thinking about small sequences of interactions where we can support one particular area around one particular uh, message or or piece of content and build a a better customer journey around that that the customer just gets a better experience for that one little thing and just show that 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 worked i I think that's a big part of it the the other area and make sure you celebrate those little successes i think that's the top tip from uh, Chris Mann, he says, and celebrate every little success so you can feel good about it and build on it. Yeah, I totally agree. And and so celebrating it, taking the learnings, reiterating all of that. And and then the other bit, the, the big area that is is a good playground is where we're launching, where there is no existing infrastructure. There's nothing there to do. And I think that's a real opportunity to, to, to blank page, try and design something that is yeah. integrated from the start. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, again, um, there's a conversation I had with Vanita last night. Culture, it plays a really important role because if you don't have the right culture to support the strategy, if you don't have that learning culture that is okay to make mistakes, learn from it and, you know, dust yourself and move on, then um, you won't be able to evolve. You know, and it's, I think people should stop seeking perfection and just, try and test and fall forward in this because nobody has all the answers the only way is to become like experimental with this and just try it Um, and I know the you know shareholders and the big bosses want the return on investment but sometimes return on investment is figuring out what doesn't work so you can go and try a new method and you know test that one yeah totally agree Mm. I'm just conscious of time I can talk to you forever you're such a fun person to explore topics with. If I was going to ask you, what would be your final take home message for our audience? And what would that be, Rick? 
I suppose I, I would come back to like, what are we trying to achieve in the first place? Like I'm, you're being very complimentary calling me clever, but I'm very simple, really. I'm a very simple man. And I think about what are we trying to do? And I think we're trying to give our customers a really positive experience of working with us. And then we're trying to add value through that. And we're trying to, sh through adding that value, we're trying to shift behavior and belief. That's what we're trying to do. And if that's what we're trying to do, the closer we can get to measuring that and that being the goal, then everything else flows towards that. So I guess that that would be my my sort of final thought is, is the more we can think about the value we add and the customer experience, customer satisfaction, customer value, and driving that shift in behaviors and, and measuring that shift in belief, shift in behavior in a more data-led way, mm -hmm. I think that's where we need to get to. Thank you, Rick. Uh, I, I think that's a really good point to finish. And it reminds us that is um, being customer-centric means is all about the customer, really understanding them, understanding their need, and be able to address their need with our products and services in a way that would delight them. Yeah. Um, it's not about us. It's not about what we want to talk about. It's about what they want to talk about and address it. So thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to have you here. And I just want to say thank you to our audience for joining us. Your active participation, sharing your comments and you know asking questions has been uh, absolutely fantastic. Thank you for that. Um, I just want to say, in case nobody knew, it's Rick's birthday today. So happy birthday. I hope you. you have a fantastic plan tonight to celebrate. Um, have you got anything exciting planned? Um the family are taking me out for an Italian meal and I might have a glass of red along with it. So, Aww. yeah, thank you. I've really enjoyed it. It's been fantastic. I hope they're going to pay for it and you don't have to foot the bill. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to bring this to a close to say thank you so much for making time joining us on your birthday, Rick. It means a lot to me. But also thank you to your audience. And just close by saying that uh, this journey is not finished we haven't figured it out so we need to work on this together and as i said i'm really passionate about enabling field teams to get their arms around technology and um you know if we can put our heads together and use our expertise we probably reach that nirvana sooner um i'm excited to say last week we launched a chemia readapt which is our new platform that defines the seven habits um that we observe in highly effective um, sales professionals that gives company competitive advantage and allows them to connect with ACPs more uh, in a more meaningful way. And I'm pleased to say that I've finished writing and editing my first book, The Omni Advantage. And in this book, I share all our transferable learnings and uh, what we found out that helps to accelerate the field team's behaviors to adopt digital channels and content. And I'm so delighted that I've had input from a number of inspiring leaders, including Paul Sims, James Harper, uh, Florent Edward, uh, Paul Tanner, and Kun Janssen's in the book. So I can't wait to get the print copy in my hand. But um, I just want to finish off by saying, if you find your field teams are not adopting digital tech and content and want to address it, uh, you want to increase their confidence, please get in touch. I love to bounce ideas uh, and love to hear from you. That's it from me. And thank you so much, Rick. And thank you to your audience. Thanks, Manas. You're a star. That's fab. All right. Super. See you. Bye. Thank you.